Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. How you guys doing today? Good? Oh, I think we can do better than that. How you guys doing today? Good? Man, I can't, I can't uh, move too quickly here without... Uh, honoring our founding pastor, Pastor Dan Livingston. Let's give it up for him one time in this house this morning. And his wife, my mother, the pillar of prayer and strength in our family, Kathy Livingston. So let's give it up for her also. Thank you guys so much. Listen, I, uh, I, I, we took a, a small slant. I called an audible this week. I just felt like the Lord put this word on my heart. And so... Um, I almost didn't bring this today. Number one, I just want to ask you, um, today I want to talk to you about the fight for life, all right? Um, and, and a few things that I want to put in front of you before we get started. Number one, I want you to know that this is not a political sermon today, all right? I do not believe that politics belong in our pulpit. I'm going to say that one more time. I do not believe that politics belong in our pulpit. Here's why. One day, all of the parties will fade away. One day, all of the candidates will be gone. And the only thing we will be left with is Jesus. And heaven is his campaign. The cross is his speech. And there is nothing that anyone needs to add to that. And so I just want to let you know that Jesus is all that we are here for today. And because of that, his word is what rings true. And my hope today is not to bring you some political jargon. Um, as a matter of fact, my, I, I will not be bringing you any political jargon. What I will be bringing you strictly is the Bible. And can we agree that this is what we want in our life? Amen. So um, also, I want to let you know that today's message is grace-filled. One of the reasons I almost did not preach this message today was because I did not realize that it was going to be coming after the State of the Union address. And I did not want to be pegged as party affiliation because I do not belong to the right or the left. I belong to the words inside of this book. And what they say, I will follow. And where they take me, I will go. And what they give to me, I will re-communicate to you because that is my job. This message is supposed to be grace-filled. And so if abortion is part of your past, if it is something that has happened to you, it is something that you have chose to do uh, in years leading up to this point or even hours leading up to this point, if yesterday it affected you, I'm here to tell you today that my job and my hope is not to condemn you. My job is to introduce you to the same level of grace that was afforded to me when drugs and alcohol were a part of my past. I needed the same level of Jesus that everyone else needs. And so here I stand today as a communicator of the beautiful grace that Jesus can afford to those who surrender their life to him. And so my goal today, as we navigate through some of what we're going to talk about, is not to beat you up if that is part of your past. It is to show you the hope that can come from Jesus. And I hope that you see a beautiful light at the end of today, not feel like someone has beaten you up, because that is certainly not my goal. And then lastly, I want you to understand that condemnation is not here today. Our church is not here to introduce condemnation. Our church is here to bring hope into every dark place of our life. 
And so we want Jesus to reign. So I just want to pray real quick and then we'll get started. All right, Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you're so good to us. And we thank you that grace is abundant. And we thank you, Father, that you have set aside time to meet us here today. That the creator of the universe is present in this building. And that, God, you have created and afforded to us so much mercy that we do not deserve. And then so much grace that we could not deserve. And so, God, you love us so much. And so we just want to give you our life today. We thank you for it. Speak to our hearts. Open our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I, I love to go to, how, how many guys love to go to the movies? Where are my movie people at? You love to just go watch movies, right? So if the movie starts at 6, then the movie actually starts at 6.30, right? All right, so we're all on the same page. However, my wife, her favorite part of the movie is from 6 till 6.30. Like, she wants to see what's coming next. Like, what are these new movies that are coming out? Like, I want to I wanna, I wanna see what's happening. Like, her previews, and I'm just sitting there like, I didn't pay all this money to watch previews. So if the movie starts at 6, I might be putting my shoes on at 6 at the house. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, that's, I'm on my way, but I'm putting my, anyway, so... She loves previews, and uh, so one of the things that I started noticing, how many of you guys remember the previews in the 90s? Y'all remember previews in the 90s? I swear James Earl Jones, like, did voiceovers for all of them, right? And today we have this new, like, he, like there was a whole thing, and they were all terrible. <laughs> all bad movie trailers. I go back and watch Independence Day trailer, one of my favorites. Uh, and I went back and watched it on YouTube as I was getting ready for this. And I was like, this is a terrible trailer. Like, who made this? And so what I wanted to remind you is that when it comes to our life, say my life, when it comes to my life, as we follow Jesus, and today, if, if you haven't made that commitment yet, if Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, today you will have the opportunity to answer the call if he is calling you. And I do genuinely believe that God's desire for you is not that you would spend an eternity anywhere else other than in his presence. And today, if you haven't made that decision, I, I want to let you know you'll have the chance to. But for all of us that follow Jesus, our life should be movie trailers to the real thing. Our life should be a short and small representation of who God is in all of his glory. We should carry a preview of who Jesus is with us. So I want to take you to Genesis 21. You can take out your sermon notes if you have those. If you don't, you have your Bible. If you don't have that, you can take out your iPhone. If you don't have that, you can take out your iPad. If you don't have that, take out a MacBook Pro. If you don't have that, take out your iMac. You can plug it in somewhere around here. If you don't have that, a Mac Mini will suffice. And if all else fails, you can use an Android. Okay, so let's... <laughs> Just... <laughs> That was almost as bad as the Patriots comment. Let's keep going. All right. So who didn't win the Super Bowl, they just didn't lose. All right. So anyways, let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. All right. So, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. So I want to I catch you up on what's happening here. So this is, a, this is a snippet of a short story that's inside of a long story. All right. So uh, what is happening here is Abraham gets a promise from the Lord and the Lord says, you're going to have ch a child and that child is going to be a blessing to many nations. Okay. 
And so he makes that promise, but he looks at the Lord and says, I'm super old and my wife is old and we're never going to be able to have children. And so his wife, Sarah, comes to him and she says, here, take my servant and have a child with her so that your promise can be fulfilled. You guys with me? And so the servant was Hagar and the child's name is Ishmael. All right. So he gives. But then what happens is over time, uh, what ends up happening, Abraham ends up having a child with his wife, Sarah, and his name is Isaac. And so as he has that child, what happens is he now has a child, Ishmael, with his wife's servant. And then he has a child, Isaac, with his wife, Sarah. You guys with me? All right. I just want to catch everybody up in case you've not heard this story before. So in the midst of this story, what is happening here is that we see Ishmael is picking on Isaac one day. And so he's doing as brothers do, right? I grew up with uh, a sister, older sister, and we picked on each other a lot. And then Tommy moved into my household, and all the floodgates opened. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the boy tortured me. I tortured him. He would always try to pick on me, but I was bigger than him every day of his life. Okay, so uh, it was just the way it went. But that started happening, right? And so finally, Sarah comes to Hagar and she says, or Sarah comes to Abraham and she says, I want Hagar and Ishmael gone. And that's exactly what Abraham does. So this is what we see happening right here, right? And so what's happening is they are poor, vulnerable, broken, and refugees with no hope. Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar has lost her home, her security, and Ishmael has lost his inheritance and more importantly, his father. They don't have enough to now, now to carry them as far as their water would take them. So the only thing they have is what water Abraham gave them on the way out. Let's go to verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said... Let me not look on the death of a child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And this is one of the bleakest pictures in all of the Bible. And one of the more saddened images that we'll see as a mother sets her son down and walks away. And as she does, the boy is asking, Mom, where are you going? And she can't even respond because she's so overwhelmed to tears. The only thing certain in this scenario is death. The only question is not if they would die, but which one would die first. And I know this is not what you signed up for this morning. But God intervenes. Turn to your neighbor and say, God intervenes. How many of you know that God is always looking after us, even when we don't feel like it sometimes? Go to verse uh, verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Get up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. How many of you know that It may seem bleak on your end, but God can still make bleak situations into great nations. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with her water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. 
spoiler alert, everyone, there's a happy ending to this story. I know, I, I said it a dark there in the beginning, but it is a happy ending. So a question that I have for you, why? What is it about this couple? What is it about this mother and son that caused God to intervene? What is it about them that caused them? If you were going to plead a case with God to say, no, God, save them, like do something for them. If you were going to plead your case with the Lord, what would it include on their behalf? Were they rich? No. Are they famous? No. Were they influential in the land? No. Did they have one million Instagram followers? No. Were they special in any sort of way? No. This is the forsaken slave mistress of Abraham with his newly disowned illegitimate child who is the product of his disobedient adultery where he decided that he wants life his way more than God's way. That's the two people that we're talking about this morning. So no, the answer is that they were people. And that is enough for God to care about them because they were people. And today, God doesn't need anything more than people to care about. Psalm 68.5, that God says that he is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitations. Tim Keller posed a question. He says, how true does something have to be about you for it to make it into a description about yourself? Question. Self-reflection moment. You ask yourself that. What does someone have to do or what does something have to be true or how much does something have to be true about you for you to make into a description about yourself? So uh, I recently started working out again. Nah, maybe. I don't know. And so can I tell you something? My passive, hardly excited motivation to work out is not a description of me. So if I introduce myself, I'm not like, hi, I'm Brad Livingston. I really love to work out. First of all, people would be like, eh, right? But secondly, that's not yet something that's super, like, super very true about me. So I don't use it as a description of me. You want to know what I do use a description of myself? That I am a husband to an amazing wife. That is something that is true about me, and I do use it as a description of myself. I pastor an amazing church. That is something that is very true, and I use it as a description of myself. I love pizza and sushi. (laughs) And if all those other things fade away, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That will be something I use as a description of myself. So, But what has to be true about you, to use it as a description of yourself, the reality is, is that God describes himself in a way to say that he is the father of the fatherless. How true of God does that have to be for it to be something he describes himself as? My buddy DeMarcus over here, he's a baller, y'all ain't know, six foot 11, not really, but he's close. I grew up with DeMarcus, went to high school together, and uh, after, I think his sophomore year, he went to a different high school. So I didn't see him that often. Plus, I went into a work program, not a work release program. Those are different. <laughs> I went into a work program at school. And 
So as I went into that work program, uh, I started leaving school at like 9 o'clock every day, best decision I ever made, because uh, that was the only way I was going to pass. Anyway, so uh, I went and did that. It was awesome. Uh, but I remember Mark, DeMarcus's freshman year, my man was like 5'6". And he would, he would come up to me, and I, I, I was playing basketball at the time. Like, yeah, man, I love the ball. And he's talking about playing basketball and all that. And I never doubted the man. But five, six, like there's only one Muggsy Bose. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So anyway, so I, I was like, okay, dope. And so I went on with my life, and we, didn't, we lost connection for about five years, I guess. And all of a sudden, he shows back up at our church one day. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> he was, I mean, he's tough. Anyways, so he's, he was, so, but DeMarcus may describe himself as many things, but when I'm describing DeMarcus to someone else, I'm like, the tall guy on the front row, and everyone's like, oh, gotcha, perfect. Why? Because it is true, and how many things does God have to say about himself that are true, but there's one thing that is absolute, God is a father to the fatherless. Jesus' ministry is to the needy and the vulnerable. Turn to your neighbor and say needy. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm needy. Your neighbor said, I know, I live with you. Okay, so to the needy and the vulnerable, the sanctity of human life is treasured. I'm going to say this again. The sanctity of human life is treasured because it holds the image of God. Every child in the womb of their mother is created by God in God's image. And you cannot pass legislation or do anything else to take away what God has created. Life's sanctity needs no other argument than that. God's response to people who are hurting and vulnerable, though, needs no other motivation than that. And neither do we if we are the preview. This becomes difficult because whether or not someone deserves our sight and our stance for them is so often an equation. If they are a person in a womb, they get our position. But what do we do after they are born? Because for many of us, whether or not they get our attention is whether or not they're a person plus something else. So are they a person and are they wealthy? Then I'll stand for them. Are they a person and they have value? Then I'll stand for them. Are they a person and they look like me? Then I'll stand for them. Are they a person and they hold the same political landscape and viewpoints as me? Then I'll stand for them. But if they are a person and they live in the ghetto, do I still stand for them? If they are a person and they're a different race, do I ask questions before I declare that they're still made in the image of God? We all want to stand in the churches across the nation against abortion. And we all want to stand for the baby that is 13 weeks old. But I fear that we have failed. And I don't, this isn't a race thing. This is a church thing. I fear we have failed to stand for the 13-year-old boys that are getting shot in the streets of the same neighborhoods. I want you to recognize very strategic words that I'm using today. Not words like you, words like we. Because we, when I say we, I'm talking about the church. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We have an opportunity to do better. And I think that we should. 
James 2, 1 and 4 says, My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit, like my man Alan, always fresh to death. God, that dude. Man. And a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, Sit here, sir. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, Better sit here on the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? How many of us are saying, God, I need you, I want you to bless me with whatever? And God is saying, If I can't trust you with people, I can't trust you with provision. Because God cares more about people than he cares about your provision. So there's a few things that I want to give you today. Three things. And I pray that you hear this with an open heart. And this is something that God is convicting me of because the words of this book are true. And so I believe that we can take a step together. Are you guys with me today? All of you haven't walked out. That's fantastic. All right, let's do it. First thing I want you to understand is that it is time to merge the lines. It is time to merge the lines. This is the only part of what I'm going to talk about that will reference politics, but it is still not political. We have spoken clearly. When I say we, I'm referencing TC and my family. We have spoken clearly about where we stand as a church in regards to racial superiority, white supremacy, and other hotbed issues because they matter. We have needed other white people, and this is not a bash on white people, so do not take it this way. I'm just strictly pointing out what we have made a step in as a church, right? So just bear with me, okay? We have needed other white people, especially white conservatives, to make necessary statements of support for our minority brothers and sisters in the face of injustice. And we have done that. And I applaud you for that. We have needed a united front to stand and say that we do not care what ethnicity you are or where you live or what your income level is. Injustice and unnecessary brutality against our minority brothers and sisters must stop. We have let those moments stand isolated individually to not undermine their importance by saying it's wrong, but this is bad too. You do not have to look at someone who has been shot in the street And ask more questions before you give sympathy. We can just give sympathy. Because they were made in the image of God. Today I am standing for that same level of support though. And asking for it from all races and all political affiliations in our congregation to say that abortion is not okay. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world may say that it's okay, but to be Christ-like means to be renewed in our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I'm here to tell you, do not be conformed to the political agendas and party affiliations of this world, whether it be the right or the left, because as I have already communicated, one day they will both crumble. And I'm cool with both of them crumbling before the rapture even, honestly, so that is what it is. Sorry, I told you I wasn't going to get political. It is what it is. I want to communicate this to you, though. You can maintain your political affiliations. You can. 
You can maintain your political social agendas. You can maintain your political rooted systematic beliefs and still make a stand for God's word that says abortion is not an answer to a problem. If you want to be a Republican and stand against abortion, go for it. If you want to be a Democrat and stand against abortion, go for it. I don't care where you find yourself on the lines of policy or social justice or any of those things. What we need is people on the right and people on the left and people in the middle to make a stand on what God's word says. So it is not an answer to a problem, but rather another problem that will eventually have to be reckoned with if we choose to take the life We have celebrated our diversity and been vocal about our multi-ethnic culture. We have faced the criticism. We have lost members and stood against the active and passive racism that presented itself in the face of the righteous stand for unity. White conservatives making a stand that didn't line up with their political affiliation still choose to stand for righteousness. I am one and many of you are one as well. We live lives of diversity where we celebrate every person that walks through our door regardless of skin color, class, or income level. It's not that we don't see color, it's that we celebrate the fact that you may have it. I celebrate every shade of person that walks in the door and I see it. I don't choose not to see it because I'm afraid of the conversation. I choose to see it and I celebrate you exactly how you are. We do that because every single one of them is a life that matters to God and, if, and you matter to us. We also need that same commitment and boldness out of every single person in our community to stand beside this biblical value that says that babies must stop being killed in the wombs of their mothers. So here's my thought. We need as many Christian voices on both sides of the party line to take a stand for righteousness and be a voice for life as much as we want the other side of the political line to be a voice for us. Many of us do not have a problem applauding our church's stance on racial unity, but we become deafeningly silent when we talk about abortions. And we have to take a stand. I don't care what side of the line you're on. The Bible is the Bible and the Bible is true. Next, it's time to fight for life. It's time to fight for life. I'm going to rattle off plenty of statistics over the next few minutes, and I want you to bear with me today, all right? In the fight for life, the first thing that we have to do is recognize that we have to be ready to give assistance. According to 2013 studies, the cost to raise a child from birth to 18 years old is $245,000, 340 to follow. $245,000 is what it costs to raise a child. When we add to the additional resources needed in today's era of technology, that number continues to grow. And the Bible makes it clear that we are to be a voice for every baby inside of every womb and for the mother whose womb they are in. I do not assume to be able to take a position on what a woman should do with her body. I do, however, communicate that the Bible says that every life is created by God. And so please understand today that I have not experienced pregnancy. I watched my wife experience it, and that was plenty enough for me. All right, so y'all? So, like, that thing, I, no, I'm not, no, I'm good, okay? I didn't pass out during the pregnancy, but when they brought out that epidural, y'all, that needle curved, and it was like this long, and I oh, I can't even right now. We cannot just stand for the baby and not stand for the mother. 1 John 3, 16 and 18, by this, 
we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We have to become more available to helping finance these mothers, both politically as a nation and also as a church. If you're going to say yes to life, then you need to say yes to the quality of life. One of the things that I love, it was brought to my attention this week as I was preparing for this, that we even have one of our women in this church who leads a small group from mothers who have had an abortion to help care and nurture them. Because I cannot imagine the mental anguish or pain that you may suffer if you have chosen to take that route. Again, this is not condemnation for you. This is only hope for you. That I pray that you would hear my heart today. I don't hope that you would be beat up on. I'll never wave a sign in your face or scream at you because of that. I will strictly point you and carry you and take you to the same Jesus that saved my life when I was 18 years old. If you are in this room and you are part of that group that has experienced an abortion or chosen to take that route and it still plagues your mind or your heart or you grieve over that, I want to invite you to contact our office and our office will get you plugged into that small group where you can have the help and the assistance that you need. The next thing we have to do in assistance, oh goodness, the next thing we have to do in assistance is we have to pay attention to how the church responds to sexual activity outside of how the Bible explains it to be. And we have to remove the shame factor in our churches for people that have chosen to make that call. One of those women who, in the life choices that she experienced, became pregnant before marriage is not some distant person that I know of. It's my sister. I think we have a picture of them. This is Alexia, my beautiful niece. She's not that young anymore. Now she's a, like she's going to drive next year or something. I don't know. It's just growing up so fast. And this is Cindy on her wedding day. Notice on her wedding day with her child. And in the church, we have created so much shame. Is this what God intended? Is this the path that the book communicates? No, we should wait until marriage. But have all of us followed every one of these rules to a T? <laughs> no, we haven't. But why is it that we develop so much shame in this world when we don't develop so much shame in the others? That God's grace is abundant here and today, both my sister and my niece serve the Lord in this house. But I remember, yes, absolutely. But I remember, I remember when I first found out. First of all, Cindy hid it from us for like five and a half months or so. I don't even know like how that works. I don't know when they start the show, I, whatever. But she hid it for so long. And I remember at some point she just couldn't hide it anymore. And the first thing I remember is being so encouraged by the fact that she could have done something different with her choices, but she chose to give birth to a beautiful girl who is now a beautiful young adult almost, almost, uh, 
And, but what I remember is I remember walking to her in my parents' kitchen and putting my arm around her, and she broke down in tears. And I remember hugging her. And I don't know, Cindy, if you remember this, but her greatest fear wasn't having a child. Her greatest fear wasn't where the father was going to be. Her greatest fear wasn't any of those things. Her greatest fear was disappointing our father. And how many people in the church are believers but are having abortions because they don't want to face the shame that may come from the people that sit next to them on Sunday morning. And I'm here to tell you today that if you have gotten pregnant before marriage, that choice of what led you there biblically does not line up. But I'm also here to tell you today that if you flip a few chapters over, there is grace afforded to you today that Jesus can cover every single decision that I have made and you have made with mercy and grace. And that you don't have to run away from your decision, but you can run towards Jesus with your decision and he will carry you in it. Next is that we have to make a stand for adoption. I'm going to try to move very quickly. (laughs) We have to make a stand for adoption. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption. You see, my friends, adoption is actually God's idea. None of us were born into God's family, but through the cross he adopted us. Another picture that I want to show you, go ahead, is a picture, uh, in case you don't notice, uh, two of them are not like the others. <laughs> this one almost has blonde hair, and this one almost has blonde hair. That is the difference between this family, right? No, I'm just kidding. Tommy and Cindy, my Vietnamese brother and sister, and when I talk about my brothers and sisters, I don't go, I have a sister who is white, and then I have a Vietnamese brother and sister whom we adopt. I just say, I have a brother and two sisters, because God built this family. And we have to recognize that if we are going to demand, if we are going to demand that mothers keep babies in their wombs, then we had better come up with a system in the church for putting some of these babies in houses if we're going to make those kinds of demands. <laughs> 18 million orphans in America, 1,600,000 are in the foster system, 118,000 of them are available for adoption right now. Even better, there are 19,000 in the state of Florida. Even better, in our region, there are 1,400 children in the foster care system right now. If you are going to go on Facebook and demand that a mother not kill her child, I hope your door is open for one of them. Next, we have to fight for life from womb to the tomb. We have to fight for life from womb to the tomb. There was a system called redlining that took place in the 1930s. Racial discrimination and mortgage lending shaped the demographic and wealth problem, uh, patterns of America, community, American communities today. With three out of four neighborhoods redlined on government maps 80 years ago, continuing to struggle economically today. The study by the National Community Reinvestment Coalition released Wednesday shows that the vast majority of neighborhoods marked as hazardous in red ink on maps drawn by the Federal Homeowners Loan Corporation from 1935 to 1939 are today much more likely uh, than other areas to compromise or to comprise of lower income minority residents. 
It's as if some of these places have been trapped in the past, locking neighborhoods into concentrated poverty, said Jason Richardson, the director. To catch you up very briefly, in the 1930s, they redrew maps of every city, especially cities that had uh, large racial diversity and where the uh, African-American communities had congregated because we go to the places of the people that we are like, as they collectively went into uh, sections and as white people and as Asians, Hispanics, Jews, as they collectively went into communities, when the districts redrew the lines, they marked heavily minority areas as red hazard zones so that when the banks would go to lend a mortgage to a black person or African-American person in the bank, as they went to get that loan, when they saw that they existed in a hazardous area, they would refuse loans to higher income families of minorities than they would give loans to regular lower income white families. That created ghettos and communities of low income over the last 80 years. Now, I am not suggesting that that is my fault or your fault or anyone else's fault, so stay with me. In these areas, we have seen a few things. Number one, decreased morality. A heightened sense of survival decreases the very morality that we challenge. So there is a higher level of incest, rape, drug use, and prostitution in those areas. Isaiah 117 says, let's do right. See that justice is done. Help those who are oppressed. Give orphans their rights and defend the widows. Here's what I want you to understand. Because there's a higher level of incest, rape, drug use, and prostitution, something has triggered over the years to create a very dim window in those communities. And again, please stay with me because this is going somewhere, all right? A large percentage of abortions take place due to a lack of father. As a matter of fact, approximately 55% of abortions take place due to a lack of a father. The woman is scared because the father is not present. With me? Yes. But we want life in the womb. Yes, we can all agree to that. I'm going to move quickly because I have to, okay? African-American women make up for 40% of abortions in 2015. However, African-American women only account for 13.7% of the female population in America the same year the study was done. And this is not a slam on African-American women. This is actually something that we need to highlight to encourage them. So please stay with me, okay? This is not a jab at you. Black men that were arrested were 75% more likely to face a charge with a mandatory minimum sentence. Black men face 20% longer or even more severe sentencing after arrest than white men with the exact same record and offense. So we have the fathers of the babies we're demanding life for imprisoned with longer sentences. This is causing the women to make a decision about their baby alone. I still agree that life is the answer but that we have to continue to make a stand for our minority brothers and sisters and the communities that they have been forced to raise their children in to see change happen on that front so that as they are choosing life over abortion, they are not alone in their families, in society, or spiritually. African-American women 
and how they are treated pre and post birth can often, oftentimes be atrocious in their pain tolerance. Serena Williams is a prime example who in her pregnancy told her doctor something is wrong with my body. And the doctor undermined her words and her words back to that doctor were, you will never have another patient that knows their body better than I do. I am a professional athlete and I'm telling you something is wrong. And come to find out, had the doctor continued to ignore her, she would have lost the baby and possibly even lost her own life. Now, I am not suggesting that that is your fault. I am suggesting that we have to become a voice that the way that our minority brothers and sisters are oftentimes treated has got to change if we're going to demand life in the womb. This is not to demean white people or shame white people. I am one. Gasp. (laughs) This is strictly to enlighten the minds of all people so that sympathy and empathy can set into our hearts to cause us to see through the lens of so many of these young women. Fighting for life in the womb means that we need to continue to fight for those babies once they are 10 and 13 and 15 and 18. Let's fight for life in the womb, but let's also fight for their value after birth as well. The greatest reason that abortions take place is safety, finances, and fathers for women. Safety, finances, and fathers, all of which have had an all-out war placed against them in these areas by redlining by the enemy and has been supported by the powerful in our country, both Democrat and Republican, for far too long. Can I tell you something? There is no political party that cares about you. There is only a savior that cares about you. Oh, so where do we go from here? I'm very sorry for going over. I knew this was going to be hard. Where do we go from here? As a Christ follower, we are to be a preview of Jesus himself, which means we are to represent the viewpoints and images of God just like a movie trailer. This must, turn to your neighbor and say must, must drive us and cause us to repent of any mindset that separates us from God's viewpoint on vulnerable and marginalized people. And there is no more vulnerable and there is no more marginalized person than a baby in a womb that has the highest kill statistics of any other person. More people died in the womb of mothers last year than any other way. Furthermore, it requires that regardless of your party affiliation or beliefs on healthcare, economic adjustments, that based on the word of God and Jesus himself, whom we are clinging to for salvation, to give us an eternity with him, we are to represent him and his beliefs. If you think that you can cling to this Bible for an eternity with God, but not use it as the pillar of hope to stand for God, you are sadly mistaken. So what what must we do? We must do three things. Number one, we must take a stand against any form of racism or prejudice, whether it be through classism, mass incarceration, through injustice and the continued framework of redlining to maintain the structure of low-income areas belonging predominantly to minorities, therefore increasing the number of minority babies being conceived without proper education or assistance, let alone fathers and mothers. Also, heavily policing these areas and overcrowding our judicial and, pris- uh, judicial and prison systems with minorities and punishing our minority men excessively heavier than those of their white counterparts, thus creating desperation in the mother's minds and driving them to make a decision to have an abortion out of fear of being all alone and therefore carrying the largest percentages of abortion rate in our country. We must take a stand. I'm not saying it's your fault, 
But the Bible does ask us to do something about it. So we should. Number two, take a stand to see the church better advocate on behalf of the 600,000 children in the foster care system today. Christians demanding that abortion stop while not taking a stand to become parents to these vulnerable and hurting children and parent them and be the picture of Christ to them is hypocritical at best and painfully detrimental to the kingdom of God's true message of the gospel and adoption at worst. I'm not saying it's your job, but the Bible does ask us to do something about it. And so we should. My last picture. I sat with my wife at our doctor's office as we have both chose not to have children anymore <clears throat> because there's a 60% chance that our next child will be born with Batten disease as well. For those of you that are new and do not know, this is my baby boy, Jabin, whom we lost to the Lord and he went to heaven on May 18th of last year. I sat in a doctor's office as they asked us if we wanted to have children again. And we said no, because we choose not to allow that same pain to happen to another child. And the doctor's response was that we can identify if the child has the disease in the womb and terminate if necessary. And we can terminate as many as we need to until you have a baby that is healthy. not okay if you are going to suggest 85% of babies with special needs in their womb are terminated every year and if you are going to suggest that my baby boy is not worth the living then I pray that God has mercy on your soul because he has done more ministry in five years than any of us could hope to do in our life. And I know many of you may sit out there and you may say, Pastor Brad, that's quite manipulative to use your child. Because you know how that would make us feel. I'm here to tell you today, that the way that we feel about Jabin is how God feels about every single baby in the womb of their mother. <sighs> Lastly, what must we do? We must take a stand to declare that if we are saying yes to the gospel and we are saying yes to grace and we are saying yes to God and we are saying yes to heaven, and we are saying yes to the eternal benefits given to us by a loving Savior that we had better carry the full message of that same gospel. One that says that God loves all of his creations, which is every baby in the womb. No Christian can say that abortion is ever permitted or okay and be right, 
period. If you are a believer in Christ, abortion is wrong. There is no conversation. If you do, you are suggesting that God is not sovereign enough to handle a mother's health in light of the baby's presence and that we need to take control out of God's sovereign and infinite hands where all wisdom and knowledge reside and put it into our own hands encompassed with finite and limited knowledge. We are suggesting that we know better for what is for us than what God does. And we are saying that what happens on this earth to us as humans is more of a concern for us than our desire to follow God with our full heart. Even if that means facing uncertain outcomes with faith while trusting him. I'm not saying it's your job, but still, actually, I am saying it's your job. And still the Bible asks us to do something about it, so we should. See, Brad, what do we do? I want to give you some heroes as we wrap this up. David versus Goliath. When Goliath threatened God's people, David stepped up and God made him a hero. Moses with the Israelites and Pharaoh. When Pharaoh put God's people into slavery, slavery, Moses stepped up and God made him a hero. Joseph, the dreamer, when famine was coming to the land, Joseph stepped up and God made him a hero. Paul's journey, when the people threatened Paul and the government threatened Paul, he preached and carried the gospel. And the reason that we are able to declare it today, largely in part, is because of Paul. God made him a hero. Noah's ark, when God decided to flood the earth and rid it of evil so that it could repent, Noah built the ark and God made him a hero. Ruth, when she was left as a widow, she stayed committed to her mother-in-law and God God made her an ancestor to Jesus and a hero. And when a young, scared, and isolated teenage girl who was engaged to become, uh, who was engaged to be married, became pregnant, but not by her fiance, and had every opportunity to abandon this child or even kill it, based on the promises of our culture's guidelines, she said yes to the possibility of persecution, injury, or death. But this time, she didn't become a hero but she birthed the ultimate hero. And his name is Jesus. If there has ever been a circumstance that looked more like one that our young mothers face today, it is the birth of Jesus. She was poor. They had nowhere to go. They were by themselves. There was no government assistance. There was no health care. They were looked down on and now pregnant and not by her fiance. And yet she had in her womb the savior of the world. Can we stand for righteousness? Can we stand for life? Can we stand for Jesus? And lastly, for the marginalized, for the vulnerable, for the hurting, for the broken, for the less fortunate, and for the unborn. Can we stand? Eliminating abortion in our country might be possible, but it will never come as a mandate from churches and Christians demanding it. It will only ever come as agreements from churches and Christians signing up to be the shining light of the hope of Jesus to the baby in the womb, the mother and the community that they both live in. Can we aim to be like Jesus? And for these people, can we be heroes that show them who the true hero is? I think the answer is yes. Let's pray.
Father, I just pray that your word has penetrated all of our hearts. Our desire today is not and will not ever be to condemn anyone, whether they have not recognized the racial superiority that exists in our government, whether they have not recognized that your word speaks directly to abortion. Whatever it may be, God, I pray that you do a work on our hearts. We are not here condemning white people on behalf of the racial injustices in our land. All we are asking is that all people take a stand against the injustice. That we stand for the babies in the womb until they enter the tomb. We will stand for life. We will stand for the gospel and we will stand for Jesus because you laid your life down for us. And today, if you're in this room, very easy, it's very simple. Your life doesn't belong to Jesus today, but you want it to. And you want God to take control of your life right where you sit. I'm not gonna come to you, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna point you out. We just wanna say a prayer together. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus to take control of my life. Would you raise your hand right where you sit and say, that's me. I want Jesus to take, God bless you, God bless you. Are there more hands? Once you put your hand up, you can put it down. We're not here to embarrass you, we just wanna pray for you. Are there more that says, that's me, Pastor. I want God to take control of my life. Maybe you're watching us on live stream today and you want God to take control. I'm here to tell you that he is more than ready to give you grace and mercy. So let's pray today. I want you to repeat this prayer after me and the whole church is gonna pray it with you. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure and make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose three days later through your life, through your death and through your resurrection. I can be saved. So I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that perhaps the very first time. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. For more information about our church or to contact us, please feel free to visit our website at transformationchurch.com. And if you want to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. Join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be.